So, bodybuilding. How many of you guys have ever done a workout at school or did a workout at the gym? You guys know how to work out? Okay. Here's what you should know. Most medical authorities are now saying that if you want to live a long and healthy life, stop doing cardio. Instead, gain muscle. True story. Muscle is better for you in all categories. Cardiovascular health is helpful, but they say if you really want to live long and healthy, that you should grow your muscles and get more muscle mass. Muscle mass helps level your hormones, especially for you guys right now who are young and experiencing the hormone rush of adolescence. Uh, having muscle regulates your hormones. Having muscle also helps you to maintain an, a healthy body weight. Having muscle also helps with warding off diseases. Having muscle also helps if you fall. It's more, it's more protective than, than, than fat and even better for you than if you're just heart healthy. Uh, having muscle is overall better for your entire life. Jesus calls the church to be a muscular organization, to be strong. And in fact, when the church is strong and united, everyone benefits. You benefit. Visitors benefit. Unbelievers benefit because you're a strong church. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to spend the next five weeks together unpacking what that has to say about how we're to be a bodybuilding church. Jesus cares that we be a strong and united youth ministry. So open your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 tonight, but we're also going to take a quick cruise in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So make sure your Bibles are ready, get your notes ready. I have a lot of things to, to lay out for you. And I'm really excited about your small group questions. I'll give you a couple seconds while I get some water because I'm really straining to, to make myself heard. Can you guys all hear me okay? Yes. Yeah, good, good, not so much. I'm gonna wait till this pass is over. Okay, now how many of you guys have been on the bad side of a click? Like you're trying to be friends with people and they all click up and you're like, oh, I guess I'm not welcome in your party. Um, one of the things that I've heard as a constant complaint, <laughs> um, feedback rather, is that clicks are bad uh, because it makes me feel bad as a person. And I would agree with that. More, more, more often than not, clicks are not a good thing. Um, however, Jesus had a click. He had a click of 12 guys. And then within that click of 12, he had a click of three. Uh, Jesus is okay with friend groups. The difference though is that uh, the difference between a friend group and, and a click is that a click is exclusive and does not allow anyone else even near that. A friend group, however, is a group of people that are close, but also super caring about other people as well. They're not so myopic and so inwardly focused that they don't care about others. Jesus' concern is that we, as a youth ministry, learn how to have friend groups, learn how to care for one another in close relationships, but also to care about everybody else here. So it's not just us, it's caring about everybody. And again, like building muscle, that takes work. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Let me, let me start with verse, verse 1 for us. Paul the Apostle says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, there's a very important word at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. Take a guess what that word is. Call it out if you hear. Very important word in chapter 4, verse 1. What do you think it is? Prisoner is a good one, but not the one I'm thinking about. Keep going. Therefore. Therefore. 
Anytime there's a therefore, what should you ask? What's the therefore therefore? What is the therefore therefore? Why is it there in the first place? Here's the therefore in a nutshell. The therefore in chapter 4 verse 1 is about Jesus. So here's how we're going to start this. Point number one, if we're going to be good bodybuilders, we're going to grow some spiritual muscle and learn to care about people the way God wants us to, we need to point number one, always start with Jesus. Always start with Jesus. That's point number one, and that's where the therefore is coming from. When you start lifting, you start gaining some muscle, one of the things that your coach or your your physical trainer is going to tell you is safety first. You're going to do squats. Don't do 300-pound squats if you haven't done the squat in your, ever in your life. If you're going to do a bench and you're doing more weight, you should put the shoulder cuffs on the weight so that the weights don't fall off. If you're going to do heavyweight, you should lift with the lifter, or uh, lift with the spotter rather, so that they're able to help you navigate the weight. Safety first whenever you're doing weight training. Jesus first whenever you're doing spiritual training. Okay, Jesus is always first. Let me tell you why that's important. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Jesus is always first, first and foremost, because He's the one who saves us from our sin. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, In Him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. The reason we start with Jesus and this is the most foundational message we all need to know as Christians, is that Jesus is the only one who can deal with our sin problem. Whenever we have factions between us, it's because there's sin. We're, we're, we're sinners and we have trouble loving each other the way God called us. Jesus is always first because He deals with our sin issue first and foremost. Jesus uh, has redeemed us at the cost of His own blood. Think about this. Redemption is a, is a, is a, a slave-type concept. Jesus bought your soul at the cost of His blood, which means you were enslaved to sin, you were living life for yourself, and Jesus says, look, I'll lay down my life in order to redeem yours so that you can now serve me. I am your master, Jesus would say. Therefore, Jesus is always first. Secondly, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Take your, take your Bibles there. Ephesians 2, verse 7. We always start with Jesus, not only because He saves us from sin, but also look at verse 2. So that's, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 7. So that in the coming ages, Jesus might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable riches. The reason we start with Jesus is because He secures immeasurable blessings for us. We know, as Christians, that to obey Jesus is far better than to follow the passions of our flesh. Because anything you do apart from Jesus is going to temporarily feel good, but is ultimately going to be for your bad. It's going to steal from you. It's going to be something that undermines the very thing you're seeking. Happiness, joy, satisfaction. Jesus says, and I quote, I have come to give you life and to give you that life abundantly. We start with Jesus when we think about bodybuilding because He saves us from sin, but he also He is the source of our joy and our unity. He's the one who makes it possible for us to enjoy the good things He has for us. Think about this. It's like if Elon Musk were to say to you, uh, 
son, daughter, I'm going to adopt you. And as a, as a, as a means of your adoption, here's my debit card. Go use it however you want. I think I'd be pretty excited about that. I'd definitely get a cyber truck. <laughs> right now, I'd get an amp to amplify my voice. <laughs> but, but there's a lot of things I'd get. And, and, and I'm not worried about spending a ton of money because Elon Musk has buckets and buckets of cash available, right? The same thing is true of Jesus, except to a greater degree. Jesus has immeasurable riches. In other words, you can't count it. The, the, the riches that Jesus has towards you makes, makes Elon Musk look like a poor guy in the middle of L.A. begging for money. The kind of riches Jesus has exceeds far above and beyond anything this world can even fathom. We start with Jesus because he forgives our sins and also he is a source of immeasurable blessing. Look at chapter 3 with me. Chapter 3, verse 6. We're still in the book of Ephesians. We're starting with Jesus. He's the reason that therefore is there for. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul is saying, look, um, Jesus is so important because Jesus does something that no one else could do. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Here's what Jesus did that no one else has been able to successfully do. Jesus took Gentiles, of whom all of is anyone here Jewish? Anyone here Jewish? No, you're not Jewish. Dave, Dave Averill's the only, okay, okay, Colin and Dave are the only Jews here. Everybody else, by definition, is a Gentile. A Gentile is someone who's not ethnically Jewish. So Colin and Dave get a pass. <laughs> but the rest of us as Gentiles, we didn't have a way to God like they did. We didn't have the same kind of access. And so Jesus comes and he bridges the gap. He unites Jew and Gentile. Now think about that for today. When we're all talking about race relations and Black Lives Matter and persons of color and uh, femini femininity and uh, feminism, uh, thinking about how we can be equal under the law, thinking about how we as a people can pursue justice, thinking about how we as, as a nation can pursue equity among the different races and genders and etc. Jesus resolves something that humans could never resolve. He takes two different kinds of people and merges them together under the banner of Jesus Christ. So I look out here and I see a lot of different colors. There's a lot of, I mean, there's guys here, there's girls here, there's Jewish people here, there's, uh, there's, there's black and brown and yellow and all the colors of the rainbow. All of us are represented, and, and that's the beauty of the church. Jesus unites where other people divide. And so we start with Jesus first because he unites all people through his death. He saves us, he delivers immeasurable blessing, and he unites people by his death. Jesus, through his work on the cross, erases the lines of black, white, guy, girl, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. That is a massively cool thing. I mean, just think about this. How many of us would be friends if it were not for the church? Like, I don't like some of you guys, right? <laughs> My fault, I'll leave. <laughs> you know I'm joking, right? But there's people that you're, you're, you're friends with in the church that you would never be friends with otherwise, right? Am I the only one who would say that? I think all of us know that's like, oh, this is really cool. I, I like and love the people that I'm around because our biggest and best connection is Jesus Christ. Like, I don't care what color you are. I don't care how tall you are. I don't care what gender you are. 
because you're a brother and sister in Christ, I love you. And I think you could probably say the same thing, right? This is what Jesus does for us. Jesus takes away our sin. Jesus gives us a measurable blessing. And Jesus gives us a unity at the cost of his own blood. This is why we start with Jesus. And this is why Paul starts with Jesus in chapter 4, verse 1. Okay, now, now that we've got the foundation of Jesus, we start with Jesus. And now let's see how we should live in response to Jesus. Let's read chapter 4, verse 1 once more. Now that we know what the therefore is therefore. Okay. Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. If our first point was always start with Jesus, our second point is Paul saying, look, because of who Jesus is, live in this way. Point number two, aim to live in honor of Jesus. Aim to live in honor of Jesus. How many of you guys or gals have a compass sticker on your car or a license plate. Okay, a lot of you. I gotta tell you, I was super nervous about putting compass stickers on my car. Why? Because now I have to drive different. <laughs> now I'm accountable. If I cut someone off, they're gonna be like, oh, that compass sticker, ah, oh, those people, those Christians. If I'm speeding and a cop pulls me over and he's like, ah, oh, CBC, hopefully it's a CBC cop, it'll let me go. But if not, if not, I'm in big trouble because I'm giving our church a bad name. And by extension, I'm giving Christ a bad name. That's why some people don't put compass stickers on their car. Even though our senior pastor has asked us to when we should, some people are nervous for those very reasons. Paul is saying, look, you may not have a compass sticker on your car, but if you're a Christian and you're, a, a, you're an out Christian, you're living out loud with Christ on your person. Christ, you belong to Christ. You are owned by Christ, and therefore, your life should show that. You should live different because you name Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You don't have a sticker. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And so Paul says, because of that, you should live differently. You should live in a manner worthy of that calling. How do we do that? There's two ways that we live in honor of Jesus. And the first one should be obvious. We, we obey His commands. To live worthy of Jesus, to live in His honor, is to obey His commands. I know for all of us, probably would say, look, yeah, I want to obey Jesus. I'm a Christian. I love him. I want to do what Jesus wants him to do. But in reality, most of us are, are giving ourselves way too much slack and not giving enough deference to what Jesus wants us to do. Sometimes we'll, uh, we're unwilling to even inconvenience ourselves to do things like go to church or read our Bibles or pray. Why? Well, because I'm tired. I've had a long day. Um, I, I got a tummy ache. I don't want to go to, I got a tummy ache. Yeah. Notice what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, a, starts with a P, prisoner. Paul was in shackles because he was a Christian. Paul went to prison for Christ. Some of us won't get out of bed for Christ. And that's the difference. If we're going to live in honor of who Jesus is, that means it's going to have to cost us something. Not because we're trying to please him, to earn our salvation, but because he gave us free salvation. Your shackles have been removed. You are free in Christ now. And so what that gives us the ability to do is we're free from sin and free to be righteous. We're free from the shackles of our enslavement and we're now free to live in a new way that honors King Jesus, not for our salvation, but because of it, because of what he's done for us. Jesus says, young person, listen to me closely. Jesus says, my yoke is easy my burden is light. Jesus essentially is saying, look, to follow me, to live for me, and to love for me 
is way better and way easier than to do anything else you're doing, to follow any legalistic system. He says, instead, trust me, follow me. You want to know who you can trust? Trust the one who's willing to shed his blood for you. Trust the one who's willing to hurt for you. You want to know how I, how I know your mom loves you? She very painfully pushed you out of her body at great personal cost to herself. Your mom loves you. And even then, after you hurt your mom by popping out of her body, she continued to feed you. She changed your diapers. Like that's how you know your mom, like your mom's willing to pay the price for you, right? Mom loves you. Jesus loves you more than your mom. Jesus has proven that by saying, I'm willing to suffer an ignoble death. I'm willing to suffer by being beaten and bloodied and laid upon the cross, stark naked, humiliated, beard pulled out, spat on my face because I love you enough. I love you enough to die for you. I love you enough to offer you a place in my kingdom. Therefore, trust what I'm saying and follow me. That's what he's doing, guys. That's what Jesus wants you to do. To obey his commands, to walk worthy of Jesus, is to understand what he's done for you in the gospel and to respond to that. That's it. Simple, simple. Here's, here's the clincher, though. When Paul says in verse 1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you is a second person plural. Okay, let me know if you know what that means. Second person plural. Just give me, a, I understand what you're saying. Okay, most of you don't. Great. Second person plural is the difference between you personally to y'all collectively. Okay? Second person singular is I want you, Keaton, to go over there and sit on a bench. Second person plural is I want you, True North, to get up and move over there. Okay? That's the difference. When Paul says I want you to walk worthy, he's saying I want you, you all, to walk worthy. Therefore, it's not just you individually saying, I want to obey Christ. It's you all together obeying Christ, obeying his commands. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. He talks about this thing called calling. Calling. He says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The first way that we aim to live in honor of Jesus is by obeying his commands. The second way is by remembering your calling. I want you to imagine something. It's September and you're back in school. It's terrible, I know, but track with me. You're back in school and the PETA club wants you to be their president. They come to you and they say, Diego, we know that you love animals and we, we, we also know that you have upstanding moral qualities that can help you not eat bacon and... You're going to adopt a bunch of cats because you're an upstanding moral person. So we want you to be the president of our PETA club. Diego receives a calling to be president. And as a result of that calling as president, they say you can't eat meat. Uh, you can't eat animal byproducts. So no cheese, no sour cream, uh, no, uh, no eggs. And, and because you can't eat meat, that means no burgers, no Chick-fil-A. It's all out. That's what it means to be our, our club president. And Diego says, or you say, all right, I'll do that. I'll be your club president. I'll be your PETA president. And I'll never eat any meat again. I'll never eat animal byproducts. No more cheese. No more cookies. No more nothing. PETA. The next day, members from PETA notice Diego chewing on a T-bone steak. <laughs> Blood running down his face. Grease on his hands because he's just eating with like, he's just, ah, you know, he's just chowing it. 
And then he's got cheese whiz, and he's just snacking on the cheese whiz. And he's pouring it all over his body. He's just so, he's just crazy about animal byproducts and the animals. They say, Diego, what are you doing? Didn't you agree to be our president? You're upstanding moral citizen. He says, look, this is just too, I love this too much. Bacon tastes too good. Cheese is too delicious. I just can't. I can't accept your calling. Okay, I revoke my calling. Jesus calls us to live in a certain way in accordance to the rules of the group, right? To be a Christian is to live in honor of who Jesus is. You've received a calling to do something different. Some of us, though, are a lot like Diego. It's like, oh, but I love sin too much. This is too tasty. I really want to follow my sinful pleasures and appetites. And I know this is totally weird to, to liken us to PETA. I, that's, the, that's a terrible idea. But you get my point, right? To embrace your calling is to recognize that Jesus calls you to a different way of life. He's saying, look, remember what I did for you. Remember who I am for you. Remember how I demonstrated my love for you. And as a result of that, walk worthy of that calling. Live in a way that shows you're willing to, to identify with Christ no matter how painful that is. Let me tell you, being a Christian is far better than being part of PETA. Okay? Being a Christian is free. There's lamb chops involved. There's steak. There's chicken. There's all these good things. But even better, you're not alone. You are with the people that are called to love you the way that Jesus loves you, which is where we get our last point. Verses 2 and 3, chapter 4. All right. Let's read verses 1 through 3 just to get the, the context here. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Here's how. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here's the beauty of that little passage there. Jesus purchased our unity on the cross. It is a gift of his salvation. Because of who Jesus is and because of us being his sons and daughters, if you are a Christian, that means unity has been secured at the cross. Our job, as you notice here in verse 3, is to maintain that unity. Not to invent it, not to, uh, not to create it, but to maintain it. Point number three. Because unity belongs to us, we need to protect the unity that Jesus bought. Point number three, protect the unity that Jesus bought. I was raised in the hood, and so one of the habits I developed is that you never leave anything unlocked. That's not what you guys do, I found out. Some of you guys like to leave doors unlocked and cars unlocked, and like you just, I get nervous when I see that. So I lock my car doors. Sometimes twice, I'll lock it. I'll hear it click and I'll just do it one more time. Just double, you know, <laughs> double check it. I like to walk around my house if it's not too late and check the doors, close the windows, make sure the windows click into place. Like I, 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 I don't want our house to be robbed and I don't want anything in my car to be robbed. So I go out of my way to protect the investment that God has given us. Look, when you highly value certain things, you're willing to go the extra step in order to protect those things. God calls us to highly value the unity that he purchased and therefore to go out of our way to protect it. He gives us five ways to do that. Okay, there's five words there. Humility, gentleness, patience, uh, bearing with, and eager to maintain that peace. Okay, so those are the things we're going to look at. You ready? You ready to write this down? We protect the, unity, protect the unity that Jesus bought by 
first by not thinking of yourself first. That's humility. By not thinking of yourself first. True North, one of the things I would love for you to practice in the next four weeks, tonight too, is if you see someone by themselves, that you initiate conversation. Okay? I don't want any one of us here to be off by ourselves and like isolated and you do that awkward thing with your phone where you pretend you're doing something really important. So it's like, oh, I'm alone, but I'm, I'm totally doing this on purpose. I want to be alone. <laughs> no, you probably don't. And you know what that feels like. So especially seniors, I want you guys to go out of your way to love your underclassmen. But it's not just for seniors, it's for all of y'all. It's a collective you all. To be humble is to look at others and say, man, I want to love them the way that Christ has loved me. Second, we protect the unity that Jesus bought by not being unnecessarily offensive. Protect the unity that Jesus bought by not being unnecessarily offensive. That's what the word gentleness implies. In today's day and age, when everything's super offensive and everyone's offended about everything, let it be that all of us as a group of Christians don't try to be offensive on purpose. Um, and that means that sometimes we're going to that means sometimes we're going to say things that are more politically correct, not because we're politically correct, but because we care not to put a stumbling block in front of people. Here's at least what that means. When you joke with each other, be sure that the people you're joking with know that it's a joke and welcome your humor. Sometimes y'all make jokes and people aren't laughing. The people that are on the receiving end of that joke don't feel like it's funny. They feel like you're a big idiot jerk and you're mean and they never want to talk to you again. So be sure that your jokes are well received by your crew. Don't assume. Don't assume. Here's a joke that I never want to hear from any of your lips. We don't make gay jokes in True North. Okay? Guys, I don't want to see you pretend to be a girl. Please don't do that. I will lovingly take you aside and call you out on that. Men, please don't pretend to be a girl. Please don't pretend to be a woman. It's not funny. Maybe in the old days, when your parents were young, it used to be funny and much more acceptable. It wasn't even then, I suspect, but okay, maybe back in the day, it used to be something where you could rib somebody about being a homosexual. Not today. Not today. Homosexual jokes of any form should not come out of your lips. Can I, can I be any more clear about that? Don't make gay jokes. Please don't do that. Why, Pastor Rod? They're funny. Okay, let me give you several reasons why. I don't think you need them, but let me tell you. There are people in our church who struggle with homosexuality. What do you think it does for them when you make jokes and guffaw at homosexual activity in their presence? If they're a Christian and you're a Christian, you are now stumbling a brother or sister in Christ. Not saying that their sin is okay. No one's saying that. What I am saying is that you as a Christian need to gently and carefully love the people around you. Don't assume that just because they look straight means that they are straight. Don't assume that because they've never acted like an opposite sex person that, oh, they must be fine. Just don't make, don't make silly assumptions. People around you are struggling with a lot of sins that you'll, you'll probably won't know about until you guys get a lot closer. Freshmen, I'm sorry, this is a big topic to jump into in high school ministry, but trust me, as your youth pastor, this is what we deal with. So please, no gay jokes. One, it stumbles them. 
Two, it's unloving. Three, Christ doesn't want us to make gay jokes. I mean, let no filthiness or foolish talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So, to not be unnecessarily offensive at minimum means that we don't joke around about transgenderism, about, um, about homosexual activity. We can talk about it seriously, but we don't make jokes. Third, Paul says that we're to be patient with one another. So to protect the unity that Jesus bought, we do that by not thinking of ourselves first. We do that by not being unnecessarily offensive. And third, we do that by trusting that God is at work in others. Seniors, you're probably going to be tempted to get irritated with freshmen. Remember, at one time, you used to be a freshman too, and we tolerated you. <laughs> we still loved you. We, still, we didn't kick you out either. We wanted to. We kept you around. My point is simply this, guys. You need to trust that God is at work in all of us at different ages and stages. We're all a work in progress. You know, let's, let's say that together. Okay, you ready? We're all a work in progress. We're going to say that together. Okay, ready? Here we go. We're all a work in progress. You guys have been so gracious, especially, this is, this is my third year to take a whole class through True North. You guys have been so gracious with me and patience, and you saw me grow, and I've seen you grow. Like, this is, the, this is the goal of the church, to be patient toward one another, to tolerate each other in some ways, and to say, look, I know you're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. Our job is to to be gracious toward one another. And here's what that means practically. Look, no one here, does anyone have a badge that has sin police on it? No one has a badge that says sin police, right? Good. No one has that badge. No one's going to christen you to be the sin police. So although I do want us to look out for each other and to not let sin go unchallenged, that doesn't mean all of us should be calling all of our sins out all the time. Most sin that we see is usually going to kind of roll off our back and just kind of, we're going to let it go most of the time. Other times, we'll deal with it. But, as a whole, our job is to be patient and gracious. Two more. Paul says that we're to be bearing with one another. Sounds kind of like, ah, I got to tolerate you, which is really the point. So, we protect the unity that Jesus bought by enduring through petty differences. Enduring through petty differences. Let me tell you what happens, guys. You get close to each other. You guys are going to go to revival together. You're going to have fun and you're going to stay up late. And then someone's going to do something that hurts the other person. And then you guys are going to be like the worst friends ever. You're going to hate each other. I don't talk to that guy anymore. He's an idiot. We try to have a conversation. I don't like him because he's mean and he offended me. She hurt my feelings when she did that thing and didn't invite me to it. Look, who cares? I'm going to talk as your pastor now. You ready? Here, get over yourself. Okay. I love you. Okay. Get over yourself. It's not about you. It's not about you. Like, lo learn to love people. Part of learning to be an adult and grow up is learning how to resolve issues between yourselves. And that means forgiving and being forgiven. That means not to break up your friendships just because... Sally did something that hurt Susie and now Johnny's involved because he was dating Susie and now Johnny's upset with Tommy because Tommy was also into Sally and it, okay that's high school drama and I know you're going to be tempted to give into that don't get over yourself forgive and be forgiving 
Easy, right? <laughs> my last point, Paul says that we're to be eager to maintain. It's my sub point, actually. And this, this relates to everything else we just said. We protect the unity that Jesus bought by quickly resolving conflict. Paul tells husbands and wives to not let the sun go down and then be angry. I want to challenge you all to have that same kind of mentality. If you get in a fight with someone tonight and there's conflict, don't wait till tomorrow to fix it. If you can at all avoid that, resolve it sooner than later. Don't be, don't be all uptight about it and hoity-toity and snooty and like, well, I'm a better person than she is and he's an idiot. I'm a, I'm a better person than he. Okay, resolve conflict quickly. Jesus purchased our unity. Jesus purchased the church by the blood of his own, uh, his own sacrifice. Therefore, here's my word to you. Don't quit on each other. Don't quit on each other. When there's relational strife, You'll be tempted to say, I'm done. I don't want to come back anymore. I don't want to deal with you anymore. I'm over this. Don't quit on each other. Here's why. When you sin in the next five seconds, Jesus will not quit on you. Awesome. Praise God for that. When you sin in massive ways and you disappoint your youth pastor and your parents and your leader, Jesus will not quit on you. Do not quit on Jesus' church. This is a little part of his church, and he calls the church his bride. He loves her. He cares for her. He died for her. Therefore, we as a part of that church, part of that youth ministry, we seek to maintain that unity that he purchased with his own blood. This is our challenge this summer, guys. And because of this, this is why we're going to end uh, our time here by starting small groups in a kind of a random way because I want to build up the body. So I know it's not going to be the most comfortable. I get that. And I know you're going to be challenged because it's going to be weird. You're going to be with a different small group leader. I know it's not going to be the most exciting thing for you, but trust that I think this is the best thing for you. Not the most exciting, but the best thing. Broccoli is not the most exciting vegetable, but it's probably one of the best you should have, right? It's more, it's not as exciting as cotton candy, but broccoli's better. Okay. True North can be one of the best youth ministries in South Orange County. Confident of that. We, have, we, have, we love God's gospel. We love his word. And I think we're going to start to learn to love each other a lot better. And we're going to do that tonight by mixing up some small groups. Okay, so here's how it's going to work. I'll, I'll pray for us, and then uh, we're going to put the freshmen and the sophomores together. I think some of you guys kind of know each other. We'll keep you guys together for this week. And then that means, of course, juniors and seniors are together. Guys with guys, girls with girls, you're going to want to, uh, well, in fact, let me, leaders, can you stand up so that they know who to go to if they're new? Okay, so there's Jim Studebaker. So those are the guys, Sammy, all the guys. Okay, guys, look around. Okay, now girls, look around too. Notice all the gals standing. Those are who you're going with. All right, everyone see someone? Keep groups relatively small. I don't want to see 45 people with Olivia and Sarah and only one person with Sammy and one person with Monse. We're going to try to even out. Okay, don't go anywhere yet. Let me pray for us, and then I'll let you guys go.